I face this mountain ahead of me? Will I spend time studying how big the mountain is? Or will I trust that my God is bigger? Will I fear what lies in wait on the other side of the mountain? Or will I trust that my God goes ahead of me? Will I lose focus on where I am headed? Or will I trust my God to guide my steps? How will I face this mountain? It's incredible odds, and, and we're going to pick up on that again today. Um, mentioned uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In a moment, ushers are going to come back, probably offer a Bible to you if you want to get their attention. We, uh, we, you know, isn't it hard to believe it's June already? And I don't know what you think about when you think of June. Um, I think of summer. I think of, of school coming to a conclusion, you know, in the next week or two. Uh, actually, you guys that live around here know that summer doesn't start till July 4th, right? Has anybody let you in on that little secret? Uh, yeah, that's when it really begins. Um, but I thought, you know, it might be kind of nice to get a little vision of what's going to happen over the next several weeks and months uh, around here. There are some exciting things that we've prepared for this summer. Uh, summer's a fun time around here. We know that we take advantage of the beautiful weather and the surroundings, and, and uh, we encourage that, you know, times with your family and recreation, things like that. But um, we got some great things happening here at the church and the ministry I want you to be aware of. Let me start from kind of near the end and work our way back, okay? In August, our team has prepared what's called uh, an August Family Month. It's because we invite all of our children and students and everybody's going to join us in the main services uh, on the weekend. And so we kind of redesign things for that. And this year we're calling it the Discovery Pass, all right? That's the title of this year's uh, August Family Month. And we're going to be looking at several roads uh, that are in the Scripture, and they're kind of creative uh, stories that you're going to hear about. But in addition to that, they've put some activities together for our whole church family that go beyond the weekend service, and you're going to hear about those. And uh, so the time to fellowship, connect, and maybe do some exciting things in, as, as a family, uh, some activities. So, uh, so we'll look forward to that, that happening. Here's one of the things I'm excited about. You're gonna get the opportunity to hear at least two voices that you've never heard before. In fact, they're gonna be preaching their very first sermon, all right? And, uh, and, and this is exciting in light of what we're gonna be talking about in just a few minutes uh, today because they're gonna have an opportunity to begin down this journey. I was doing some math the other day. I think I've, I have preached 5,000 sermons in, my, uh, in my, my tenure, not here, but over the whole, the whole span. Some of you feel like it's been 5,000, right? I, I understand that. But think about that. And, and here we're looking at somebody's very first one. And so that's coming up. We're gonna invite our friend Aaron Couch. He's coming back in July to, to share. And Aaron is a very gifted teacher, and I know you enjoyed when he was here before, so he's coming back. Um, in a couple of weeks on Father's Day, I'm gonna be sharing some important things to our church life and our church community. And these, these are things that are gonna be a reflection of some of our leadership that has been praying through and, and seeking God's heart on how North Shore is going to kind of pave the way ahead to remain uh, re relevant to all generations. I, I think most of you that are here today would agree, you, you want this to be a place that you receive some great encouragement, inspiration, and, and spiritual nourishment, but don't you want that for your kids too? Don't you want this to be the kind of place that they can be with you and enjoy that? A lot of churches are, are kind of a niche to a certain generation or age, and, and they, that, that's on purpose. North Shore intentionally has tried to cover the bases 
and be a place where all generations can, can find that, that spiritual growth and, and nourishment. And not only your kid, but think about your grandkids in some cases. You know, you want it to be a place where it's going to minister to all those. And I'm going to be sharing some things that, uh, that we're looking ahead. And, and as a result of that, we're going to call you as a church together for an all-church prayer meeting on the 20th of June. That's Wednesday night. We're going to meet in the auditorium, and we'll get more detailed about what's coming uh, ahead, and, and we're going to pray about that. We're going to put it into practice just what we talked about last week with Asa. Were you here last week? And Asa, when he was faced up against these things, he sought the Lord. They made a covenant to seek the Lord. And I want us to be that kind of congregation to where we don't just you know, come up with ideas on our own, but we're going to seek, and seek God and lay him before his feet and just see how he's going to uh, direct us in that. Uh, next week is uh, our kind of annual student takeover service. Now, don't let that make you nervous, all right? Uh, so those of you that have experienced our students, you know they are gifted. Uh, if you were here on the Good Friday service right around Easter, they're, they're amazing. And we're going to be celebrating some of those. We're launching off through graduation, but uh, also next week, we're going to celebrate our student ministries pastors, Blaine Christensen's 20th anniversary as pastor here at North Shore Christian Church. Isn't that amazing? Huh? Do you, do you guys know what the average youth pastor tenure is? You know what it is? Two years. So he is an anomaly. And uh, he's had a great influence, a great impact on some of these students, uh, many of these students' lives. And we get to celebrate that next week. And again, you're going to hear from some of these young emerging leaders, um, you know, as we get an opportunity. So if you, if you see this common th theme and thread that I'm kind of sharing with you, God is up to something, isn't he? I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in the last year or so, God has begun to bring young leaders to North Shore that are excited. They are full of, of uh, passion and zeal for the Lord. You witnessed some of it up here this morning during worship, didn't you? These are like 20-somethings, you know what I'm saying? And they're leading us in the worship, and God is using them. Um, and, and there's a lot more of this going on, and we're trying to work with it and to recognize what is, what is God saying, what is God doing, and today's message is going to reveal to us an incumbent leader. We're gonna, he's, you know him as the great apostle Paul, but you're gonna see very tangibly how he is pouring into a young emerging leader. His name is Timothy. He's probably a 30, 31-year-old, and you're, you're hearing the advice of a great disciple maker and a mentor to this young man. He was a companion of his. And as, you, you, as we hear this and we live with this for a few minutes this morning, I think each one of us are going to see what part we are playing in this whole business. We, call, we use the word discipleship here as this passing on to the next generation, investing in another life, and that's what we're referring to. But you are seeing it right before your eyes and the opportunity uh, that, that Paul is bringing about through this young man, Timothy. And, and there's one statistic. You're wondering, well, Pastor, how does this have to do with facing incredible odds? Let me give you the one statistic that is absolutely alarming. George Barnard just came out with a statistic that said that 75% of our teenagers are leaving the church between the ages of 18 and 24. 75% are leaving the church between 18 and 24. And what does that mean? 
If you lose that generation, can I tell you the obvious? The church isn't going to be around much longer if we don't invest and we don't pour in and make the adjustments to raise up that next generation and to encourage them and inspire them. And, uh, and so Paul is going to model this uh, for us today. And, and I know for myself at this season of my life in ministry, uh, I'm having to make some adjustments as well. You know, not, obviously not going to be able to do this forever, and, and, and I'm beginning to value with much, much greater uh, clarity uh, of what it means now to pour into some of the young leaders that God is entrusting us to. A few weeks ago, uh, a number from our team were able to be a part of a conference called Exponential, and I saw something there that just made a deep impact on me. It was one of the clips before one of the speakers spoke. The man's name is Jim Kruger. And he is the creative director of DC Comics. And you wonder, well, what in the world was that all about? This guy is kind of the genius behind taking some of these characters that you're familiar with, like the Supermans and the Batmans and these comic book characters. That was kind of his passion. Well, he emerged as the guy, the genius, that translated those onto the big screen, into films and movies that you've seen, okay? And he's an amazing guy, but he had an interesting observation about heroes that he has been personally a part of bringing, bringing to life some of these heroes that you, you're familiar with. But even more important are how those heroes come to be. I thought you might enjoy hearing the clip that I got to hear, uh, just a portion of it. Uh, but listen to the message that Jim Kruger brings to us, okay? The, the whole idea of a hero maker is that person who, it's, it's wrong to call them an assistant because ultimately they're there in every single element of the story, of, of that hero's story. Like, you know, when we think about Alfred um, and, and Batman, Alfred is someone who knows how to tend to wounds. Alfred is someone who has seen combat himself. Alfred is someone who takes the chaos, the raw chaos that, that is the pain in Batman's life, and Alfred helps it be honed into the character who can ultimately save Gotham. If, if we think about the lone wolf hero, they usually get tired and they usually burn out and they usually lose even the people that they wanted to save because they crash. They crash every time and they usually forget what they were fighting for in the first place. Um, a lot of pastors want to be Batman, and look, let's be honest, if you have a choice between being Batman and Alfred, who doesn't want to be Batman? The, the point is, is that I think a pastor is supposed to be Alfred, not Batman. I really do, because Batman's purpose is to go out there, he's supposed to go and stop crime and save people, and he is out in the city all the time. He's in the businesses, he's in the community, he's always out there, but then he comes, when he comes back, or he has to be brought back, there's Alfred who has to support him, who has to feed him, who has to help him remember why he does this in the first place, how he, he has to let that, this, this battle for crime not overtake him to the point where even, and, and I'll speak in a pastor way here, where, where, where that fight against crime becomes an idol that would destroy Batman completely. I, I need there to be an Alfred there to patch me up 
when this world beats me up. I need an Alfred there who's going to help me remember that the things I give myself to, if I give myself to them too much, I'm going to be destroyed by those things. Because all the things that can grab us are the things that will destroy us if, you know, God is not where he belongs in that life. Now, if I was having conversation with a pastor, I would encourage him with the fact that, you know, there once was one Spider-Man comic book that came out every other month. And then it came out every month. And then there was Spider-Man and a Spider-Man team-up. And then there was Spider-Man, Spider-Man team-up, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. And, and things began to expand. And then other heroes that were introduced in Spider-Man would get their books. And then heroes introducing their books, and those books would get more books. And all of a sudden you had this, this living, breathing Marvel Universe where all these characters were interacting, and it was, it was amazing. What I would say to a pastor is that it's more heroic to be a hero maker than a hero. Because ultimately, what you are in the process of is you are making a universe of courageous beings who defy the status quo that we're all stuck in every day. Isn't that good? Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, the, the point obvious is that it's more heroic to be an Alfred than it is to be a Batman. And, um, you know, two weeks ago, I think I mentioned to you guys, I was at my former church that I pastored from 1985 to 93 uh, up in Bellingham, the Cornwall Church, and uh, got a chance to share with the, the church that weekend. And I got to tell you that when I went there at 28 years old, uh, I wanted to be Batman, all right? And I, I hired the new youth pastor. His name was Bob Marvel. He was my first hire, my first staff person. And he, I, I, the idea was he was going to be my Robin, okay? He was my sidekick. Uh, and I told the whole church uh, two weeks ago, I said, you know, now my perspective is, I, I think it is more as aspiring to become more like Alfred and to raise up those younger uh, dynamic leaders that are out there on the front lines and, and involved in the fight. And I want you to tuck that away this morning because as we read what we're about to read, you hear Paul, the apostle, and him recognizing that now his investment is in that next generation, is in that young leader, Timothy. Listen to the words that he's saying. Listen to what he's passing on and what he's uh, challenging and exhorting uh, this young leader to consider. And, and just before I read this and before we kind of dive into this, I want you guys to think about this. We're all over the board here as far as generations are concerned, right? And so some of us are going to be challenged to be more like Paul or, or like an Alfred to where we identify somebody that we can pour into. And some of you are in settings in which you're doing that. And, and that, that's good. Some of you are going to be among the younger, the emerging leaders, and you need to hear the challenge of what Paul is passing on, uh, of what you need to be uh, focused about, okay? Some of the things he's going to challenge us are going to stick us, regardless of where we're at and convict us as far as uh, the standard that he's setting, and, and we need to pay attention to that. But we, we have a saying around here often, when we get into any kind of a impasse or conflict or whatever, or, or you're in a relational deal, we say, listen, always remember, there is your part, there is their part, and then there is God's part. And you've gotta draw the lines. You can't do somebody else's part for them. 
You might know what you think they need to do and all that, but you can't do that for them. They can't do your part for you. And we can't do God's part, can we? We've got to trust God, amen? amen. He's got his part. And so we need to keep these, uh, these, these ideas even as we read this. So if you're looking at 1 Timothy 4, I want to start in verse 6, okay? And again, put it through the lens like we were just reminded of the heart of the Apostle Paul. Think of him kind of like Alfred, uh, you know, trying to uh, talk Batman off the ledge, right? Okay, listen, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we will toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Don't neglect the gift that you have uh, given, that was given by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, let's pray. Lord, uh, just pray today that as uh, we dive into this scripture that you will give us insight and wisdom. Father, there's areas that we need to apply to our own lives. I pray that we will do that. And just help us grasp the vision that you have for us, even for our church and our ministry here. Uh, we want to be in step with what you're doing, and we want to make adjustments where those are necessary, and help us to have the courage to do so, even today, as we approach your word in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We, uh, I want to just kind of walk you through, uh, specifically, some of these things that he's going to challenge young Timothy. Uh, just appreciate the context. Timothy was a young man that joined Paul in, in his missionary journeys. He traveled uh, around Asia Minor, Turkey, we now call it, uh, up through Greece, and he was with him uh, on the establishment of some of these very churches that we read about. Um, then came the time when they challenged Timothy to stay in the church at Ephesus. It was, it was one of the foundational churches of this time. It was a key strategic location. Ephesus was one of the largest cities uh, east of Rome and, and the, for the Roman Empire. It was a city marked by paganism uh, to a very high degree. And it was a challenging place to have a ministry. It would be challenging for a young man in particular, not only because of the culture that he was trying to carry this out, but because this was one of the more established churches, so there was probably a fair number of mature believers that were there, all right? And this is why Paul's uh, encouraging him along these lines. That's the setting. Now, I've divided your notes up, if you got those on the way in, in a couple of areas. Pretty simple. Do's and don'ts, okay? And his advice comes in those categories. I'm going to start off, first of all, with the don'ts, okay? He starts off in verse 7, 
And he basically says, don't waste your time arguing foolish ideas. Here's how he put it in verse seven. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now, Timothy knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Um, apparently, the context there in Ephesus was is that the culture had adopted a number of what we would, we would use the term superstitions to describe them. But it seemed like it was prevalent, uh, not only outside the church, but even inside the church, many people had bought into these superstitions, and they would get into argumentative uh, defenses of those superstitions. And Paul's saying, that's not where you need to spend your time. That's not where your energy should be invested in trying to discount those myths, those legends, those superstitions. You need to come over here, and as he's going to point out, you need to just basically lay, lay out the truth for these folks, and that's where, where your best investment is going to be. Guys, have you found that, that there's, there's some pretty crazy ideas out there right now? Now you're getting into conversations, and you're, I don't know about you, but sometimes under my breath I'm just thinking, where in the world are you coming from? And I hate to say it, sometimes it happens right here in this room. And North Shore is the kind of church, and I'm grateful for this, that we have a ministry, a broad ministry, uh, and it's not uncommon. In fact, virtually every weekend I'll meet folks that are walking through these doors for the very first time. And the reality is a lot of folks are not coming from a Christian background. We're in a post-Christian era, and they're not, they don't have a point of reference at all. And they're coming here as maybe a first step to discover the things of God and what this truth is all about. But boy, I'm telling you what, they're bringing some baggage sometimes. And I could easily sink myself into just defending against certain ideas or thoughts or, or notions or myths or whatever. But he's just simply giving advice. He says, you know what? That's not where your best time is invested. Don't get into circular argu arguments with people. You're going to meet somebody at work, and they're going to come after you like an antagonist, and they're going to want to have you answer this question and that question. And let me just tell you up front, it's insatiable. They will go on and on and on and on as long as you, they, you let them. I have a supposition about it. I think they're just avoiding obedience by throwing question after question after question. They're not often sincere. Pay attention to those questions that are sincere. But the truth is, is uplift Jesus Christ and him crucified like Paul said, and you will find yourself, they'll either stop the conversation or their heart will begin to melt before you, one or the other. And so Paul's given some advice to this young man. He says, just don't, don't get into that stuff, okay? Here's the second one. Don't be intimidated by your youth. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Now, I think you, you guys have an appreciation for what he's describing. Timothy was probably somewhere around 30 years, give or take a couple of years, and many in his congregation were older than that. And it would have been easy for them to kind of look down, and, and I don't think Paul was trying to give Timothy ammo to be defensive about his position, you know, as pastor of, of that particular church, like, like uh, just because he's in the office that now that's his authority and he's gonna exercise that authority. Uh, I don't think that's the spirit Paul was coming from. I think, I think it more is along the lines of Timothy, you're gonna be one that is, is 
filled with the Spirit, and you need to set for them a light and an example, as he's going to say in a moment, that's the course that you need to stay. I liken this, uh, you know, in previous service. I, I was thinking about the World War II uh, big f- flying fortress. They called it the B-17, okay? And it was, it was like the workhorse of World War II. Not a huge airplane, but there would be a pilot in the front seat, you know, that was, that was designed to keep this plane on its course toward its target, and that was his task. But in the belly of this airplane was this bubble underneath, and there would be a machine gunner down there on a swivel, and he was always looking for potential attacks, and when they would come, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd get them. And, uh, and I heard somebody liken sometimes those that are early or young in the ministry, they're like those guys down in the machine gunner. And anybody that is out of line, they're going to blast them away, you know. Charles Spurgeon used to say they shoot from the lip, you know. And they use their bully pulpit, you know, to lay people down, and they, they, they try to exercise their authority that way. I don't think that's the spirit that Paul's describing. He, I think, is challenging Timothy to be more like the guy in the front seat, the pilot in the seat that's going to keep them on that solid track toward the target. And that's what his life was about. It was his life, his whole life, that was going to, uh, going to be set toward uh, that goal. I, um, I stop and I think, you know, back very early on, in fact, it was one of my professors uh, during the college days, uh, Ralph G. Turnbull. It was kind of interesting after the nine o'clock service. Somebody come up, first time they've been here to North Shore, and they introduced us and he says, I was in Ralph Turnbull's church here in, in downtown Seattle. I mean, he pastored in the 40s and the 50s, uh, and, and they came up and introduced themselves, and I thought, wow, you're the first one I, I think I've met since I've been here. But he, he was, he was a, a giant, a spiritual giant, and he, he wrote many, many books, a little Scottish preacher, you know, from Edinburgh, Scotland. Well, they had a quote on our chapel that I would see twice a week when we'd walk in the doors, and it just simply said, the man sanctifies the office. The office doesn't sanctify the man. Just because you're in the seat, just because you have the position, doesn't mean that, that that's, that's what uh, is going to give you all the rights and authority. It is your life, he says. It's your life that has to back that up. And this is what uh, uh, Paul's Timothy charge really comes down to. Don't let them despise you because you're young, but as we're going to see in a moment, you need to back this up with your whole life. There's a third don't, and that is don't neglect the spiritual gift that you've been given. We don't know what that was uh, in the list of spiritual gifts. It could be evangelism, could be prophecy, could be pastoring, teacher, whatever. I personally think it was more of the shepherd, the pastor, teacher. But whatever it was, he refers to, he says, when the elders or the council of the elders laid hands on you. Here at North Shore, we call that ordination. And we have a path that some of our young leaders will go down and and when we acknowledge the call of God from the spiritual leaders, often we'll bring them before the congregation, lay hands upon them to acknowledge that call. And that's exactly what Paul's describing here that happened for Timothy. And he says, don't neglect that spiritual gift, okay? Let's look at the do's. Here's some of the things that he's challenging him to consider to put into to practice. And here's the first one. Look at verse six again. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, 
you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And I would just say in the first point, I think he's charging Timothy to warn the church members. There's a, there's a tone, there's a tone that he needs to be emboldened. Sometimes a young man might be a little bit timid. You remember the second letter to Timothy? And he wrote that, by the way, a couple of years later, and it was probably a couple of years after that that Paul went to be with the Lord. So this is near the end of uh, Paul's ministry. And he's saying, listen, when you present these things, put them before the people. Be faithful to put these things before the people. Warn them. Let them know what the truth is. Do you guys remember a year or two ago that we did a series through Romans, which is probably one of the best books of doctrine that we have in the Scripture, and we called that series Plum. Remember that? And we use the illustration of a plumb line, and, and it's a very simple tool that many construction workers will use or, or carpenters, and they'll use that tool as a guide that they adjust to to let know what is the true vertical line that we're looking at, that we're, we're trying to make an adjustment toward. If a carpenter was to go on his own judgment or own eyesight, do you think we'd get it right all the time? I doubt it. You gotta have a tool that, you know, today we use a level, right, with a little bubble in the middle, but some kind of tool that's objective that we're, we're applying to, and I think that applies to the scripture and to the truth and he's saying rely on the word of faith on the doctrine on the things you've been taught and be able to stand uh, before the people and present those so that they can adjust to it and not the other way around okay that's that's what he's exhorting timothy to consider okay second thing is keep spiritually fit he uses the analogy of bodily training he says for while bodily training is of some value uh, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I would have loved to have skipped this point right about now because you talk about physical uh, training and that's good and everything. There's some things that are just obvious and that, that probably is not my greatest uh, area of discipline uh, with the exercise, diet, things like that. But I think many of you have come to value. In fact, we're living in a time right now where this is a high value and folks, man, they make all kinds of adjustments toward their physical uh, well-being. And he's saying, that's good, but there's something even better, and that's training in godliness. And it is training. It does not just happen by default. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes setting aside a time and paying attention to this. And this is exactly what I think he's, he's telling uh, Timothy to pay attention to. This is, this is, this third one is on the heels of this other uh, encouragement not to be despised by your youth, but instead, he says, set for the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I would just say, be a godly example. Be a godly role model for those that God has put you in place toward. It's not gonna be just because of the things you say, but he does say, pay attention to the things you say. There are two areas. In fact, when I looked at the construction of what he was saying here, something kind of bubbled up, something kind of emerged here. And, and the way that I read this is there's two specific areas that he's uh, calling him out on, and there are three qualities or characteristic that he wants to apply to both of those two areas. Let me put it this way. In your speech, 
Let your speech be marked by love and by faith and by purity. Okay? And in your conduct or your behavior, let your conduct be marked by love and by faith and by purity. Okay? So what he starts with are the things that come out of our mouth, and he's saying, pay attention to that, Timothy. You know, those, those are so important, and people are going to hang on those words. But he said those words need to be guarded carefully. You guys remember the days when we used to say the little phrase, sticks and stones might break my bones, but what? The words will never hurt me. That's a lie, right? There's nothing true about that at all. There's some of us here sitting here this morning that some words were spoken and you've never been able to forget those words. And, and he's saying make sure the words that come out of our mouth are going to be loving, are going to be faithful, are going to be pure. Jesus spoke over in Matthew chapter five and he said, you know, you can tell what's going on in somebody's heart by the words that come out of their mouth. Your words are a reflection of what's deep down. You've heard me put it this way, and I've quoted Harold Lenzel for this. He says, what's at the bottom of the well always comes up in the bucket. If there's muddy, dirty, you know, water or, or mud down there and you get the bucket down there, it's gonna come up. And if there's clean, pure uh, water down there, it's gonna come up in the bucket. The words that come out of our mouth are the bucket, and, and that's what's a reflection of, of what's down deep. We need to pay attention. Guys, if you're here today and there's anger and there's bitterness and resentment, if, you, if you've been involved in slander, which is reducing somebody in somebody else's eyes, or malice, Scripture talks about you know, actively trying to hurt somebody with your words, that's a reflection of something in the heart. That's a heart issue, and we need to come before him uh, with that because it invariably is going to reflect itself in our speech. And he's warning this young man, he said, be careful what you say. A couple weeks ago when I was in, at Bellingham at the church, I, I was taken back. And I, I just was kind of reliving some of these early days. I was 28 years old when I went there as a pastor. I'd never preached every week, you know. So, so I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was working hard just to come up with a message every week. And you know the funny thing about that time? I was sitting, I'm kind of amazed that more people didn't come to hear me preach. And now 30 years later, or 40, 35 years later, I'm amazed that anybody comes back to hear me. <laughs> that you guys are kind enough and generous enough to come back each week, you know, to listen. And, uh, and yet, I look back at some of the sermons that we did then, and I remember one particular time I was trying to be clever. Uh, <laughs> and, and back then, I had bright red hair. Uh, you know, I mean, it was orange. I mean, it was bright red. And I thought I could get away with a, an illustration that kind of made fun of me and my red hair, and it was taking me back to the eighth grade. And, and I made a comment, you know, about, about red hair and some. And my wife, in fact, after last year, said, yeah, I don't think you should use that illustration. You know, she said, there's gonna be some. And so forgive me ahead of time if I, uh... but I said something, and I thought it was cute, you know, and I, I, thought, I, I thought I could get away with it because it was kind of self-defacing. Well, there was a gal out there, beautiful gal, by the way, but she had red hair, and when, when I said what I said, she was so hurt and offended, she never came back to church. And I, I uh, you only gotta do, I only have to do something once, and I usually learn my lesson, but that was a big lesson about the things that I say and the impact and what, what is being heard 
by the very words. And Paul is warning him, let, let your speech be done really carefully. Make it sure it's love, faith, and purity. Now, we also have a saying that says, if you're going to talk the talk, you better what? Walk the walk. And so he says, it needs to show up in your conduct. Your conduct needs to be marked by love, by faith, and by purity. And when people watch you, it's going to be what they see modeled that they're going to take from you. I'm well aware that I have a platform every week to speak words. You don't see me in the, in the Mondays through the Fridays as much. My colleagues do. My, my wife certainly does, and others do. And, and it's just so important for integrity purposes, which is a high value here, that we're the same of what we speak as the way we live our life and the way that we carry that out. There needs to be a continuity there. And this is what Paul's charging uh, this young man with. Okay? Real quickly, last couple. Uh, he's saying focus on the Word of God. He said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. We did that a few minutes ago, didn't we? We read through the Scripture. He says exhort. That, that's a word we don't use a whole lot, but it means basically take that and fan it into a flame, challenge, poke if you have to, uh, call out, um, you know, inspire. Exhort means kind of bring this thing to, to a place of action, all right? And he says exhort the folks with the word, and then he also says teach. It's a pretty common phrase, but he's saying let them know what it means. Build the context, the understanding. Show how it's relevant and practical to where they're living. And that, that is something uh, that he wanted him to give himself to. Last thing I wanted you guys to see uh, here in verse 15 and 16, and, and we kind of conclude with this, but keep a close watch on your life. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all might see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You've heard me say several times now that one of the things that's on kind of my, my front burner right now is just to pay attention to finishing strong. We learned from Asa's lesson last week. After 36 years, it seems, of faithfulness, suddenly he took a, a, a turn and the last five years were just a train wreck. And how can we preclude that from happening? That's kind of the, at the other end of a, a person's journey. Today we're looking at the front end of that journey. For our young folks, for our students, uh, what is it going to take for them to not be one of these statistics, to not be one of the 75% that leaves the family of God in the next season of their life? What is it going to take? I'll tell you, this is my belief, and this is what I think the Lord has brought us to today. I think for, for all of us in this room, we're going to have some responsibility along these lines. It's going to be up to us to do just the same thing that Paul was doing for Timothy here, to encourage him, to inspire him, to hold him accountable, to uh, challenge along these lines. And you're going to get an opportunity to do that next week because you're going to see many of these student leaders right before you. And I'm going to challenge you guys. I want to encourage you to, to take another step. Go out of your way. Don't just slip out and go on and say, well, you know, I was so-so, you know that. 
take, a, take an active role in encouraging somebody, one of these young emerging leaders. And not just next week, but in these future opportunities that we have. Guys, I'm gonna be real straight with you. You've got a choice. In our, in our paradigm that we work with here at North Shore about making disciples, if you come this afternoon to the 201 class, you'll, you'll see this laid out, is we, we, the path, the process we go is spiritual life stages. And it starts from being dead in Christ before you're ever a Christian. When you're first born again, you become an infant, and then you'll grow into a child, and then a young adult, and ultimately our win, our success, is when you become a spiritual parent who will take the responsibility for another spiritual generation, okay? That's what we're aiming for. And some of us, I don't care how long we've been in the church, we get stuck at a certain level, and we get content, and quite honestly, that level is often child. And you know what the key mark of a child is? Selfishness. It's all about me. And, and in the church today, as we look across the landscape, that probably is the chief characteristic. It's all about me, and it's like a consumer. It's like, what am I going to get? And if I don't get it, then I'm going to pick up my toys, and I'm going I'm to go. And uh, by the way, did I start this off by saying, you know I love you? Uh, right? Uh, we need to be reminded that, that the Lord wants to press us to a, a greater, like the song we sang, Oceans, out into the deeper water. And what that may look like is something that doesn't fit your comfort zone, you, you are going to embrace, you're going to encourage, you're going to fan into flame something that might not be quite the same that, that you're used to, but you're going to take an active role in that. That would be maturity. That would be, um, that would be more like the, the young adult or, or the spiritual parent. And that's what I want to challenge us. You know, how, however God deals with us as a community of faith, that's the test. And I think that we're, we're, we're emerging into a season um, where we want to invest and we want to see these young leaders to grow and be inspired. I just want to conclude with this. Two weeks ago, when I was in front of, uh, of my former congregation, I was thinking back and I was reflecting a lot back on to the 80s when, when I first called Bob, uh, this youth pastor, he was like a friend. He was like a little brother to me. And it was, a, it was just a blessing that God was allowing this to happen. And Bob had a major disrupt in his life, in his marriage. And it kind of threw us all off and was very discouraging. And, and not too long after that, that's when God began to shift gears and call me to a, another place. And I said this out loud with Bob in the room. I said, you know, you were probably mad at me, angry at me. But I think because I was able to shift gears and, and you were here, the leaders here were wise enough to choose you as their pastor. And, and now we're celebrating 25 years of that ministry unfolding. And as I looked across the room of the, the thousands of folks who are in this church and the impact that he has had, I have to tell you guys out loud, it was probably one of the greatest joys of my ministerial journey is to see the impact of, of that young man emerging into a great spiritual leader. And like what Jim Kruger challenged us, it's more aspiring to be a hero maker than to be the hero. And I hope we, we can embrace that. And I'm, I'm just challenging you guys. I hope you catch what we're talking about and what has, has been illustrated for us by the great apostle Paul and this young leader that, that he's pouring into, 
and to see what is going to transpire. Are you guys up for this? Are you up for this? Do you think you can embrace this and, and, uh, and trust God that he is going to fill us full of his spirit so that we can see this kingdom begin to expand in ways we could only dream? Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand together? I'm going to go ahead and close in a prayer and dismiss you. But uh, let's commit this to God. Don't forget, if you'd like to be part of Get in the Game uh, this afternoon at 5 o'clock, sign up out in the lobby. I've uh, got dinner and child care provided for you. We'd love to have you come. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your uh, wisdom through the truth of your word. Uh, every, every single word in there is inspired by you. It's there for a purpose. And today, I hope we've captured what it is that you're saying to us, even as a church community. God, we trust you implicitly. You are the head. Uh, we are your uh, followers. We are your servants. And, and God, kind of like Jehoshaphat, we don't know what, what's going to happen, but our eyes are on you. We want to seek your face, and we want to carry out your will and your plans. We thank you for what you are doing. We thank you, Lord, for what you're entrusting us with. Uh, when, I stop, when I stop and I think about this ministry, it's not just our, our church ministry, but I think of our academy with a thousand young people that are here five days a week. And, and they're all just open to learning and, and understanding. And the 50% of the families that have no church involvement at all, Lord, we know that you love them, you care for them, and you want to use us as a conduit to communicate that love. God, we need your help, and we want to be faithful uh, to the plan that you unfold. So we place ourselves before you for that purpose. We look forward to uh, what you're going to do. And Lord, if there's anything today that convicted us at a point, maybe it was our speech and talking about some of the things that are coming out of our mouth. I don't know what it is, but I just pray that like Paul told Timothy, put these things into practice, and you will be a good and faithful servant. So we entrust them to you. Uh, and thank you. Until we all come back again, may your blessing be with each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Blessings to you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.